Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Man, I'm telling you, you guys are a sight for sore eyes. So good to see so many of you, all of you, but so many of you I haven't seen in, in many months. And uh, it's, a, it's just a treasure for me to see your faces and, and uh, my heart is full as Lori. Um, we, we, we're criers anyway, but uh, you guys are making it hard on us today. We're, we're uh, so, so good to see you. We love you. And what a joy it is that you're back with us. I want to say a big thank you to my friends Paul Stevens and Pastor Elvis Garcia, who both did a phenomenal job in the last couple of weeks, continuing through our series. Um, just love them both. They both have different styles and both love the Lord with all their hearts. And what a treasure they are for us. And so I want to say thank you to them for filling in and helping us out and leading us to the Lord in our series. Uh, we've been in a series called Acts, the story of the church. We've been in it all summer, and this is our fourth summer to be going through it. Um, I love the book of Acts. It may be my favorite book in the Bible. Um, we, you know, Luke wrote the book of Acts, and when he did, he kind of divided it into sort of six different sections. Um, and so in these four summers, we've gone through about five of those sections, and now we've entered into the final sixth sort of section and focus that Luke wants us, his readers, to have uh, in the book of Acts. The focus is mainly on the Apostle Paul. You know, we, we've, we've followed Peter at times. Uh, we've, we've followed the story of the church for sure up until now. And really now the focus is going to be on the Apostle Paul and, and really all the way to the end of his life in Rome. One thing we've seen in the last couple of weeks, though, is that Paul's tone is sort of changing. You know, in the first missionary journey, uh, second missionary journey, Paul is going into these cities. He's going into the synagogues. He's preaching that Jesus is the Messiah. And so people are coming to know Christ, and then he's wanting to establish them as disciples of Jesus. And so he, he's doing this, and as he does this, he builds communities of faith. And as there are communities of faith, uh, then begin, he begins to find leaders to lead those communities, and they become churches. And you kind of begin to see this, what we call uh, the Pauline cycle playing out. But on this third missionary journey, there's, some of those things are still taking place. Paul is still strengthening and establishing the believers. He's still taking questions. He's still answering things and, and, and explaining things and strengthening believers in Jesus. But just we're beginning to see a little bit of a different and added new tone with Paul. And that is one of... Um, goodbye. It's one where he's beginning to kind of say goodbye and make his farewell to these people that he's loved so very much. And so you can imagine, as any of us would, if we knew that we had a relative that, that we may never see again, you would spend more time. That time would go deeper. It would be more significant. You would hug more. You would, you would connect more, right? It would mean more. And that is exactly what we see with Paul. Paul believes that uh, God is leading him and maybe even to the end of his life, but he's okay with that because he just wants to be obedient to Jesus. And uh, so we see this tone kind of has, has changed a little bit. He's still uh, doing amazing things, as we've looked at in the last few weeks. He's still teaching, taking questions. He's even still doing miracles. We see the power of God. And one thing we can definitely see is that Paul is finishing uh, his ministry well. And he's still got a long ways to go, but he doesn't know that, right? I think he thinks maybe this, it's coming sooner than it is. And so he's trying to wrap up his ministry well. Last week, Pastor Elvis talked about 
Paul a calling for the Ephesian elders, and they met in this little place called Miletus. And like I said last week at the end of the message, I love this little passage because it shows us what relationships in the church should look like. You know, some, I don't know about you, but sometimes church can be very distant. You can come in and, and you go, oh, fine, and you? I don't know you, but uh, I've seen you here for three years, but hope you're well, right? I don't, I'm not sure of your name. I think you live sort of in that part of town, but we don't know each other, but we go to church together. You know, there can be this distance in the church that doesn't belong. We need to be friends. We need to be companions. We need to be close. We need to know each other. We need to care for one another. We need to serve one another. We need to love one another, right? We take that, that measurement even up to, to love, to even love you as we love ourselves, or even more, to love you the way Jesus loves you and lay our lives down for you if need be. That's what the church is. And we see that played out in Miletus with Paul and these Ephesian elders. He gives them this incredible speech about caring for the flock and protecting uh, the people of God and all these things. And then at the end, we see this incredible moment where they have gotten together and they're hugging, they're praying, they're kissing. I mean, these, these people know each other well and they love each other deeply. So this is a beautiful, uh, beautiful moment that we see and a good encouragement to us as the body of Christ to seek to go deeper in our relationships, amen? To know each other, to walk life with one another. Turn in your Bibles with me for our text today in Acts 21. I'm gonna continue in uh, Paul's third missionary journey and in the story of the church. Acts 21, we're gonna go from one to 15. If you don't have your Bible, we should have it on the screen here. It says, and when we had parted, and this is Luke saying, when we left the elders in Miletus, when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload its cargo, and having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey. And they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at uh, Ptolemaeus, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for one day. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and, he stay, and we stayed with them. Uh, he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we had heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go to Jerusalem. And Paul answered, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, as we read your word, 
we're brought back into the drama um, and the sadness and the finality of this story. And yet we see a lot of things at play. We see families, we see children, we see elders, we see uh, believers, disciples connected to their pastor, to their friend. Lord, we see division. We see interpretation handled differently. We see prophecy. We see obedience. God, would you help us today to break down all of these things in this text, in this story, so that you would lead us to know you more and serve you more. Holy Spirit of the living God, would you move in this place? Would you help me to decrease, Lord, even now? Would you please increase and would you lead us to all truth by your spirit so that we could know you and love you and be more obedient to you, God, and make you known wherever we would go, even as we see Paul. Thank you, Father, for this story. May it change us as a result of being in your beautiful word. In Jesus' precious name. God's people said, amen. 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 You know, when you read this text, it's easy to get caught up in the logistics, right? This is one thing that makes Luke such a good historian. He has attention to detail. And so as he's, by the way, he's in the story, right? Sometimes through Luke we see him saying, and Paul and and these other folks, he's saying, we Luke is in the story. Luke is on the journey. Luke is next to Paul. He's supporting this effort. And so what's happening is uh, Luke is saying, we. And they're going from port to port. And remember what they're doing? Where are they going? Come on now. Where are they going? Jerusalem. Remember this, Paul has, has worked this third missionary journey is he wants to take offerings from the Macedonian churches all around that GNC, and he wants to take those offerings to the poor brothers and sisters at the Jerusalem church. They've gone through famine, they've gone through persecution, they've gone through hardships, and so he wants to love them and encourage them with some financial offerings. So he's taken uh, these offerings, and as well, the churches have sent some representatives. So there's some young men traveling with Paul. He's got an entourage, eight or ten guys with him. They're traveling together, and they're going to Jerusalem. Well, there's not a uh, one-way sail, so to speak, to Jerusalem, right? You got to take all these layover sails, so to speak. You got to take a little boat from here to there and from here to there, and, and you're always trying to figure out how you can get to the next longest distance or next port. So we see Luke in his detail go into all the specifics of all these different ports, and, and, and I like that. I think that's a, a good thing for us to see that, but we can't miss the main thing. We see all the ports, we see all the names, we see how long he's at these ports. And by the way, he's, he's typically, he's, he's uh, held captive in these ports until the ship is ready to go. So his journey is sort of based upon when the ship is ready to go. So he gets to Tyre and he goes, oh, we can be there for a week because they're unloading cargo. Then he gets to Ptolemaeus and it's like, the ship's going to be ready tomorrow. We got one day, right? So what I love about this, though, is Paul's heart is not just to get to Jerusalem. Paul's heart and plan is to love, encourage, and strengthen people. Can I tell you something? People are the mission of God. That's it. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. It's people. Because people 
matter. God loves people. When we're doing church right, it's about people. It's not just about somebody speaking. It's not just about a band playing. It's not just about speakers and a a building or land or, or, or anything. It's always about people. They are the mission of God. That's the mission. People, you and me. So the text goes back and forth to ports, but we continually see Paul stop and connect with people as much as he can. Look what he says in Acts 20, verse 31. Paul says, uh, to the Ephesian elders, from Elvis' text last week, therefore be alert, remember, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. He said, remember we were in that hall of Tyrannus, we were studying, we were becoming who God wants us to be for three years straight, but it, what, that wasn't it only. For three years, for every one of you, I admonished you with tears. Now, I don't know how close your friendships are, but if you have some friendships that admonish you with tears, I want to explain what that is. You know, for a long time, I kind of looked at that word and I thought, I think that means encourage. It kind of means encourage, but it's not necessarily a, a happy encourage. <laughs> it's a strong uh, encourage. It's a correcting encouragement. It's an admonition is somebody helping you change. Somebody helping you see a blind spot. And those are not fun sometimes. That's admonition. Not just a, hey, buddy, you're sure awesome. No, it's, hey, buddy, I've noticed uh, something different in your heart. You don't talk about the Lord very much. Sometimes it's hard conversations, but they're conversations that lead us to more life in Christ. And we need them. So Paul here is saying, I have been honest with you. I have shown you blind spots, and I have done so with tears because I love you. And it's not easy conversations, right? The, the proverb says that uh, kisses of a friend uh, or, or kisses of, of an enemy are deceptive, but the wounds of a friend are faithful. So when a friend loves you enough to admonish you with tears, you got a good friend. This is what Paul's saying. He says, I've done everything I can to encourage you to Christ-likeness. This, again, is another snapshot of deep heart-level relationship in the church. Paul was passionate. He was compassionate, pleading with tears. Sometimes we forget that the the stuff we do, whether it be the service or food pantry or uh, any of the things that we're involved in, Summerfest, we, we enjoy these events and these things, and we get caught up in the, in the thing and forget that people are the mission. You know, this last week, last Monday, we had our food pantry, and we had kind of a small crew, and we're wearing our face mask, and, and uh, I go up to one lady's door, and I'm getting pretty good at reading eyes, right, since you can't see people's faces, and I just looked in this lady's eyes, and, and she was an older woman, and she, she was hurting. There was no question. She was sad. She was lonely. And I could just see that. I just sensed that in her heart. So I leaned down, not very close, but you know, I was being safe three or four feet. And I said, hey, did you know? And we're locked eyes and eyes. I said, do you know that Jesus loves you? And her eyes welled up with tears immediately. She said, yeah. I said, no, no, no. Do you know he's crazy about you? And she just, she's locked deeper. And I said, he loves you more than you can ever imagine. And you know what? We do too. I hope you'll come see us sometime. We had a connection that was spiritual. It was deep. And it wasn't just about handing her some groceries. It was about encouraging her that Jesus loves her more than she could ever imagine. People 
are the mission, right? Let's not forget it. Let's not get so caught up in the groceries. Okay, here's some groceries. Yeah, that's helpful. But that soul connection, that admonishing, encouraging, loving people, that is what it's all about in the church. And we see Paul doing it in every opportunity uh, he takes. Uh, you know the church ought to be about real relationship. I mentioned this a, a minute ago, but I kind of grew up, even as a, as a kid, I grew up with very surface relationships at the church. I don't know about you, but to me it was more about, hey, just kind of being, being known, being seen, um, but not being known deeply, not being cared for deeply, not really sharing my real life, but that's what the church is. In fact, Tim Keller says this in his book, Spiritual Friendship, to need and want deep spiritual friendships, it's not a sign of spiritual immaturity, but maturity. It's not a sign of weakness, but a sign of health. See, there's a longing in all of us to want to share our struggles. There's a, long, a longing in our hearts and our lives that we want to just do life with people. But we have to be intentional. I want to go back to the beginning of our text this morning. But instead of showing the text, I want to ask that no one would show you the map. Because we throw out so many different places, I want you to just kind of be able to follow this journey a little bit closer. Acts 21 verse 1 says, And when we had parted from them, uh, we set sail. We came by the straight course to Kos. Do we have that map up there? There we go. You see Miletus there. So it's not showing us costs in this map, but keep, keep following it. Next day to Rhodes. From there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. And when we had come straight in, uh, inside of Cyprus, leaving it on the left. This was open sea, but they could see uh, Cyprus on the left. And they're sailing to Syria, landed at Tyre. For there the ship was to unload its cargo. And, and look at this last verse. Verse 4, and having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. I want you to notice something here. They sought out the disciples. If you're going to have relationships in your life that have any spiritual value, they might not just come your way very easy. You might have to seek them out. I tell my kids all the time, hey, do you want good friends? The Bible says uh, in, in Proverbs, a friend must show himself friendly. Right? A disciple must seek out other disciples to walk life with. If you're not a part of a city group, man, come talk to me today. We will plug you into a city group. We will help you find these, these friends that can deepen your walk with Jesus. But you see here Paul and his, his cohort, they sought out the disciples. They sought out people in the area, in Tyre, that, that knew Jesus. Why? Because people are the mission. While we have seven days, while this ship is unloading and preparing for another run, what can we do? Can we strengthen people? Can we love people? Can we encourage people? Can we preach? Can we see people come to know Jesus? The mission wasn't just from point A to point B. It was life in between. Your mission shouldn't just be, yeah, I'm a Christian. I go to church on Sundays, point A to point B. Your mission ought to be every moment of my day, every day of the week, I seek to know the Lord and make him known. And so every opportunity I get to talk to people, 
Every opportunity, we're at a table and I can pray with the waitress or I can encourage my neighbor, I can encourage my, my, someone at my business. God, how would you use me? That's what we see Paul doing. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we were on vacation. And we're in our little condo and, and uh, in our master bedroom, we hear a beep begin to happen. And of course, smoke alarms never begin to fail at two in the afternoon, right? Never. It's always 2 a.m. in the morning. Well, it wasn't quite that. It was about 11 o'clock at night. We're in a foreign city, and we're like, what are we? Okay, well, this thing's going to beep all night. So I get out to go find a 9-volt battery, go to a gas station, which has every possible battery solution except a 9-volt battery. Uh, so I get no 9-volt battery, but I go get back in the car to go try and find some place that's open at midnight, right? And I go, that might, your heart just goes, no, you know? And my car won't start. It's just deader than a doornail. And I'm getting frustrated. Men, don't you, do we do this? Just want to go bed, right? That kind of a thing. And my, 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 luckily my family were back in that condo, and I'm, but I'm out by myself in a very interesting gas station, seeing a lot of interesting people. But what was so cool is, is at one moment, the Holy Spirit changed my perspective just like that. And he, he spoke to my heart and he helped me realize, this is not about a battery. It's not even about your starter in your car, which was bad and cost a lot of money to fix the next day. It wasn't about that. It was about people. It changed my heart. In that moment, I, I realized, okay, I'm out of control in this setting. There's nothing I can do about this. So, Lord, what's the assignment? What's the assignment? And my whole perspective changed. All of a sudden, I went from anger and frustration to joy and mission and adventure. And it was. I, I won't go into all the details, but I ended up with a, a gentleman from the area giving me a, a half-dead battery that was able to work in our, in our fire alarm. Uh, ended up getting to speak to about six different people, right? Encouraging them, saying thank you, just being a light. See, it's not always necessarily about what is right in front of you. Sometimes we have to go, God, what's the mission today? And I'll tell you what it is. It's people. That's the mission. So look with me in our text. We're going to keep going here. Acts 21, 4b says, that these people in Tyre, they say this, it says this, and through the Spirit they were willing to tell Paul not to go to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship and returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemais, and we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for a day. You know what I think is interesting about uh, the people at Tyre, when they say, uh, let me read exactly what it says, and through the Spirit they were willing to tell Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Do you know how close you have to be to somebody, especially the Apostle Paul, to say, hey, Apostle Paul, I know, I know you're, kind of, you're a big deal, but are you sure you're hearing the Holy Spirit right? <laughs> right? They're telling the Apostle Paul, they're challenging his direction and his plans. That shows me another snapshot of close relationship. Because you, don't, you wouldn't do that for somebody that you don't know. You wouldn't try and steer somebody you care for in another direction if you didn't love them, if you weren't close enough to challenge them. And we see that. I want to bring your attention, however, 
to some tension in the text. Sometimes we get in the Bible and we, we start reading, we kind of go, huh? This was a head scratcher this week. Because we know from Acts 20 that Paul said he was following the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem. And now these disciples, these brothers and sisters in, in Tyre are going, through the Holy Spirit, we urge you not to go to Jerusalem. Huh? Which is it? Holy Spirit, what's, what do you want us to do? You want, you want Paul and his team to go to Jerusalem or not? What's the deal? Uh, we might remember what Paul spoke to the Ephesian elders uh, in Acts 20, verse 16, and then on to 22 and 24 says, for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be in Jerusalem. That's where he's going. If possible, on the day of Pentecost, and down to verse 22, he says, and now behold, Paul speaking, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit. I had to look that word up. Uh, constrained, you know, I, I know it's, it's, it means sort of, you know, to be, to be held up, but but the definition actually means to almost have an appearance of being forced. Paul's saying, I'm being forced by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem. He is pushing me. I don't, I don't even, I, I, this is where I'm going. There's no question. It's a very serious statement that Paul's making. I'm constrained, forced by the Holy Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. I have no idea what all is going to happen, but here's a couple of things I do know. Afflictions and prison. I know those things. Verse 24, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So Paul has shown, uh, the Spirit of God has shown Paul in, in chapter 20 you're going to be constrained by the Spirit and you're going to go to Jerusalem. But in Acts 21, we see the people and disciples saying, through the Holy Spirit, you shouldn't go to Jerusalem. So which is it? What, what, which way do we need to go? See, the thing is, is the Spirit of God will not contradict himself. It doesn't happen. So when, when you have a situation like this and you're not sure which way to go and you feel like the Holy Spirit is, is, is spoken both ways, not the case. You need to figure out which one is right and which one is wrong, which one uh, is really listening to the Lord and which one is maybe misinterpreting the Holy Spirit. Do you know that happens in the church a lot? We misinterpret the Lord. We misinterpret what he's trying to say to us. And sometimes we, uh, we stick in our own feelings, our own understanding. Right? And what, is it, what does Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 say? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your what? own understanding. See, the problem about God's will is sometimes we lean on our own understanding. It's all we know. And so surely that's right. Lean on my own understanding. Lean on what I know. Lean on where I've been. That's what these people were doing. See, these folks were, they loved the Apostle Paul. They were close to the Apostle Paul. They felt like they could challenge him. Uh, and they loved him enough, so much, in fact, they loved him more than the will of God. See, they were making the assumption that God surely wouldn't have Paul go through hard things. Right? I mean, surely, I mean, we've seen that you're, you're going to be bound in Jerusalem. 
Surely that's not right. Surely God didn't want you to do such a thing, so don't go to Jerusalem. Do you know that the Spirit of God sometimes will kind of prepare your heart? Uh, Have you ever experienced that? The Holy Spirit, in ways, prepares your heart for something that may be a difficult thing that you're about to walk through. I'll never forget about 10 years ago, literally almost just this summer, I was on my way to work, and we had been on vacation and I was on my way to work back the first day of work. And I, I'm telling you, you know, you, we hear this phrase that the, sometimes the Spirit of the Lord, uh, we're filled with the Spirit, you know. I was so full of the Spirit. I was driving, I was praying, I was singing, I was full of the Spirit. And I, I'll never forget the Holy Spirit sort of tweaking my heart in a strange sort of way, almost as if a red flag, a little warning. And I, it, wasn't, it wasn't an audible voice, it was just this, This is just a very clear, I understood that, huh, maybe today won't be great. And I literally, because of that, prayed in that moment. Lord, you know what? No matter what today holds, it it prompted me to pray this prayer. Lord, no matter what today holds, you're God and you're good. I'll never forget, it was a beautiful drive to work. And God had filled me with his spirit and filled me with joy and warned me about something. But I told him, I, I trust you. I got to work and had probably the worst day of my life. I had probably the worst day of my life. And looking back, I go, now, Lord, you were preparing my heart. You were filling me so full of you that that I I couldn't come down too far, no matter what happens. That's the goodness of God. That's exactly what he was doing in Paul's life. It's exactly what he's doing in the believers. They were showing this rough scene the scene of Paul going through difficulty. But the Holy Spirit wasn't necessarily saying, I don't want you to walk through it. He was preparing their hearts and Paul's heart. You know, the reality is these people were focused on the pain that Paul might walk through and not the purpose of God. It's so easy for us to get focused on the peripheral, the thing that's right in front of us, the thing that we know, our own understanding, and we begin to focus on our pain, our comfort, our safety, and we forget the purpose of God. You know, uh, recently, uh, Christian artist Toby Mack, some of you are familiar with him, walked through a tragedy, and he lost his 21-year-old son, Truett. As you can imagine, it was devastating. Toby is an amazing artist, amazing father, godly man. And you can imagine he's raising his child and his child wants to be an artist. And he doesn't put out music, he doesn't do, you know, he doesn't follow exactly the same footsteps until he feels ready. And Truett finally does his first concert. And Toby is so proud of his son. And that night, Truett dies. Toby and his wife released this statement. My wife and I would want the world to know this. We don't follow God because we have some sort of under the table deal with him. Like we'll follow you if you bless us. We follow God because we love him. It's our honor. He is the God of the hills and the valleys and he is beautiful above all things. There's some spiritual depth in that statement. 
We don't have some sort of under-the-table deal. God, I'll go to church, I'll serve you, I'll give, I'll do what you want me to do as long as you keep promoting me. That has a name. It's called the prosperity gospel. And it's not true. Sometimes God's will is for us to walk through unbelievably difficult seasons of life. But we can't focus on the pain, we gotta focus on the purpose. We gotta trust that God is good even in moments that are devastatingly difficult. How many people tried to discourage Paul from going to Jerusalem? Well, there's the disciples at Tyre. Through the Spirit, uh, they're telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. And then there's this guy, Agabus. You remember Agabus? Acts chapter 11 is kind of a funny name. Agabus is this prophet who, who comes down from Judea, and he tells uh, the folks that there's going to be a famine in Jerusalem. And it turns out to be true. So here's some credibility with this guy, Agabus, right? He's, so far, he's one for one at least, right? Don't stone him yet. Well, Agabus comes down, and we see him again here in Acts 21. Look at verse 8. On the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea. And when we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, uh, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him, we had four, he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own hands and own feet and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So Agabus is saying, this is what's going to happen. And he uses this sort of poetic language. Who's, whoever's belt this is, it's Paul's belt, right? And he goes through this, not only saying it, he goes through a dramatic representation, binding his own hands, binding his own feet. Do you see this? Do you want this to happen? So it's probably going to come true. He's got a, a track record of, of seeing what happens. There's a lot of prophecy in this passage. It's interesting. They come to Caesarea, and he mentions, Luke mentions that they stay in this guy Philip's house. You remember Philip? Philip's kind of a big deal. He's one of the seven deacons that were uh, put forward to care for the Hellenist uh, widows and orphans. He's going to serve the church. But like Stephen and like Barnabas, he's got more skills than waiting on tables, right? He's got some skill. He's a preacher. Uh, Philip is the one who runs up next to the Ethiopian eunuch and says, eunuch and says what are you reading? The guy goes, I'm not sure. Come up and tell me. And then the, the Ethiopian high official gets saved and gets baptized. And then God transports Philip like Star Trek or something, to another location. I mean, that alone is worth some time to talk to Philip. I mean, was it a wormhole? What, what did it look like? How did, how did that go down, right? So Philip's sort of a big deal. And I want you to notice that there's a lot of prophecy surrounding uh, this moment. These people in the church have said, we don't think you should go. We've seen what's going to happen. Agabus has seen what's going to happen. Philip's got four prophetic daughters it doesn't say that they prophesy, but, you know, he mentions that they're prophetesses. So maybe they're prophesying as well. And they're all showing uh, Paul in a bad way, going through a difficult season. Even Paul's closest travel companion and the writer of Acts says you shouldn't go to Jerusalem, Paul. Look with me. Acts 21, verse 12. When we... Heard this, 
Who's he talking about? Luke is saying, when I myself and our whole cohort of guys that are traveling to Jerusalem, when we heard this, we, our group, and the people that we're connecting to and staying with, we urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. What this means is Paul is all alone. <laughs> Paul is by himself believing that he should go to Jerusalem. Alone. It was his conviction alone that the Holy Spirit has led them to Jerusalem. And he knows what it's going to be like. He knows what he's going to face. It's going to be full of difficulty. It's going to be full of hardships. It's going to be full of imprisonment. But somehow these friends, even Luke and the cohort, somehow say that surely difficulty and hardships aren't consistent with God's will. And Paul said, what? Uh, this is such an amazing passage about um, the prosperity gospel being untrue. <laughs> if the prosperity gospel were true, Paul would have gone, oh my goodness, that does sound bad. Let's go somewhere else, someplace else, right? Let's avoid this. Let's, let's not go there. Paul was all alone. Have you ever had anybody in your life not want to see you suffer? Sure. Every, every one of us has a mom Dad, right, that, we, that at times there are friends that go, I don't think you ought to do that. If it's dangerous, if you're not going to be safe, if you're going to have to take less money, if you're going to have to live in a bad neighborhood, if you're going to, oh, honey, I don't, know, I don't know about this, right? Is it just my mom? No. That's part of what moms do. They love so much. But the problem here is that the people surrounding Paul loved him more than the will of God. Thankfully, Paul is not persuaded. Paul understands that sometimes we have to realize God's will for us is not happy. It's holy. And we don't get to holy apart from difficult seasons. We don't get to holy apart from brokenness. We don't get to be who God wants us to be and, and miss the course on brokenness. Paul was not persuaded, but I love this little moment that we see of the humanity of Paul's heart. Look with me, Acts 21, verse 13. It says, then Paul answered, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. Do you, can you feel that? His whole team, the people he's standing with, guys, what are you doing? Can you imagine? We had our elders retreat this week, and man, you have amazing elders. Can I just tell you, I'm in awe of the men I got to spend time with. Their hearts for Jesus, their tears and love for you is amazing. Can you imagine if every one of them said, Drew, no, please don't do this thing. How hard would it be for me to not take their recommendation, to not move in the direction that they were going, but... The Holy Spirit was so strong, it constrained Paul in his direction, and he alone had to stand up. Paul says, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? What are you doing pulling me away from God's will to my own safety? I'm reminded of, of the scene where Jesus is with Peter, and he, and he says, get thee behind me, Satan, right? Because Peter wasn't considering the purpose of God, he was considering the pain of Jesus. I don't want you to go through that, Lord. And Jesus goes, you don't know what you're talking about right now. Get behind me. You don't understand the assignment. You don't understand that God wants to save the world. 
and I have to drink this cup. So Paul rebukes his team and these friends in a very human moment. He says, for I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. He reminds them of what matters most in our lives. It's not even pain. It's not hardship. It's not difficulty. It is God's will. Whatever he leads us to, he will be with us in it. So just because whatever's ahead in your life may be hard to walk through. You might have a hard decision. Some of you are sitting here today and you've got some hard decisions to make. You're, I mean, you're on, you're on the border of what do I do, God? It might not be the easy answer. God's answer may be the difficult answer. His answer might be stay in your marriage. It may be the hardest thing you do, but that's his answer, I promise you. His answer may be go on that mission field. But Lord, that's not what I studied in college. It might be the hardest thing you ever do. Follow God's will. Just because what's ahead is gonna be difficult and painful doesn't mean that it's not God's will, that you should walk through it. It was Paul's will to go to Jerusalem. It was God's will, and he followed it. Have you ever had anybody say, um, hey, honey, just follow your heart? You heard that one? You know, sometimes it's okay, I think, if your heart is surrendered to whatever God's will is, but most of the time it's not okay to follow your heart. What did Jeremiah say? Jeremiah 17, 9 says, that the heart of man is desperately wicked and sick, who can understand it? Not always a good thing to follow our hearts. And sometimes we have to walk into the unknown and difficult circumstances. So thankfully, Paul here is, is not persuaded by the crowd, and he follows the Holy Spirit. Acts 21, 14 and 15, as we finish up, says, And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, Let the will of the Lord be done. After these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. I, I don't know about you, but I feel like I can hear a tone in that verse. I feel like I can hear Luke's tone. He's frustrated. And since he would not be persuaded, right? Since he wouldn't listen, he, he wouldn't follow us, he wouldn't take our concern, our safety. Since he wouldn't be persuaded, we ceased, we stopped. Some of you today need to just stop. Stop your narrative. Stop leaning on your own understanding. Just stop the worry and all the narratives and maybe even stop listening to some voices that are not concerned about God's will. You need to stop. And you need to say, as Jesus prayed in the garden, Lord, not my will but yours. Let the will of the Lord be done. And then lastly, I want to bring you to the very last verse, verse 15. Luke said, after these days, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. Paul's not persuaded. He's gonna still go to Jerusalem. And Luke, in his frustration, says, so, Lord, let your will be done. And whew, what does this look like? Well, we got ready. And we went up to Jerusalem. Some of you are facing difficult decisions. Make that decision to follow God's will. And they say, here's how you do it. 
you get ready. You get ready. You steal your heart. You steal your nerves. You straighten your back. You get full of the Spirit and you go, God, whatever's up there, if that's your will, I'm getting ready. And then you move forward into the will of God. He said he'll never leave us or forsake us, right? He's not going to let you go. And as difficult as it may be up there in Jerusalem, you get ready and you go. These disciples, Paul, they went forward into the will of God. They went in, not into the unknown, they went into the known. They knew what was going to happen, right? It had already been shown to them. They walked into the storm. They faced their fears. They trusted God. When I read this this week, a friend of mine and yours came to my heart. And uh, he's been walking through a very difficult season of life. We did a little interview last night on Zoom. I want you to see. It's just a few minutes long. Let's play it. You've been on my heart. You know, we, um, we've been in this series, um, and today we've talked about our will versus God's will and how sometimes, uh, even in difficult moments, we, uh, we have to move forward with what God is calling us to. And uh, mm. you came to my heart. And uh, so people can see that you're going through some sort of medical treatment of something. So give us a little background on who you are. Scott Williams, is, you're one of our partners, one of our city group leaders, but tell us a little bit about what your family had to embrace and uh, walk into a little over a year ago. Yeah, it's, it's been, it's coming up on a year anniversary in, in a couple of weeks. Um, I just had started having a headache um, that wouldn't go away, wouldn't respond to what normally would knock out my headaches. And um, then I just had a mild seizure when we were having dinner with a, a friend um, at an MRI scheduled and uh, the MRI showed a uh, brain tumor on my right temple. A um, week later, had it removed, uh, found out it was um, um, malignant cancer. Uh, type of cancer is called a glioblastoma multiform. It's the most aggressive type of brain cancer. Um, median survival is like 13 to 18 months. And of course, some people um, make it five years and beyond, but uh, only about 10% make it to five years. Um, so um, normally that would be uh, pretty devastating news, but uh, leading up to that, God had just given me a piece about a lot of things. And so when I got this news, um, I just realized it was coming from the hand of a good God. And so it made the rest of it much easier. Um, I wasn't worried about all the whys because I know the who behind it. And I know that he has something good in it for me. And it has been so far uh, much more uh, blessing than burden, really. I couldn't help but think about the fact that this last year has been hard. And this last year has been, it has been devastating. And for you and for your family, and yet every time I've ta talked with you, every time I've spoken with you, you encourage me. Um, and you have walked into uh, God's will that has not been preferable for you or your family. It's not been easy. 
And I just wanted to hear your heart about that and hear how is it that God has comforted you? How is it that God has encouraged you? And how is it that you have that smile that you have walking forward in such a scary and difficult season of life? Um, well, I'm, I mean, I just re realized I just turned 61. Um, so, you know, I may have another 10 years. Absolutely. It, you know, mm -hmm. but uh, all of us are going to uh, die at some time. Right. And actually knowing what will probably uh, lead to my death is a little bit comforting. It, it uh, really gives me a new perspective because I know that time is limited. Um, my mission seems a lot more crucial. Mm. And, uh, you know, in the same way that, you know, Paul knew that things were going to be difficult wherever he went. He didn't know what awaited him beyond that, mm -hmm. but he knew that God was behind it. God clearly uh, let him see through the Holy Spirit uh, that he needed to go. Um, and so I have clearly seen uh, that this is from God and there's something in it um, that will be a blessing to me, my family, others. We, as your church, you know, we love you. And uh, the church is uh, here and there. We're all scattered all over the place. Yeah. Um, but we are for you. We are with you. And we love you more than we can say on this call. But how, how can we be praying for you and Ellie, the family? Um, well, really, COVID is as much a concern for us as anything. Uh, I'm off my chemo now. Doctor took me off six months early so that maybe my immune system will a little bit stronger okay. um, so that um, you know my immune system um, improving so that I don't have to be as cautious and completely stay away from everything right 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 um, and of course praying for Ellie she's doing 90% of the work around here she's my medical advisor my nutritionist she's everything yeah um, so she's carrying a lot of extra load and um, We've got a daughter living with us who's um, supposed to be induced uh, for our fourth grandchild um, yeah. uh, first week of September. So that's going to change a lot of things around here. So yeah. a lot of a lot more adjustment coming. Yeah. Um, so just uh, con continued prayers for good health. Yeah. And uh, for sustaining us encouraging us in the midst of all the isolation that's difficult for me as a people person yeah 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 right hey well we love you and i love you very much scott and i appreciate some time today and, and just kind of sharing with our body about what you're walking through so we can even be connected further to you and uh encouraged in our own lives when when god's will is not something we want to really walk into uh we can trust him because He's good. Definitely. He loves us. And he's got a purpose above the pain. I believe that right. in my heart. As Job said, should we take right. the un, unpleasant? Should we take only the pleasant from God right. and not the unpleasant? That's it's it. our perspective that things are pleasant and unpleasant. Right. But in God's design, they're all um, brought into our lives to mature us, to make us more in his image. Mm -hmm. So that was the blessing that Job got from all the struggles that he went through is um and he he testified he said 
that before I only knew of you, but I had only heard of you. Mm. And now I know. So it was only through the difficulties that he had a, a greater depth of intimacy Beautiful. with God. Yes. I love it. Blessed be the name of the Lord, right? Amen. Uh, amen. Hey, love you, bro. Thank you so much for this you time. Too. I appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, Hi, I everybody. Would, uh, <laughs> I was going to pray for you right now, but I thought, you know what? I'm not going to. I'm going to wait until we show this, and then we as a body and a group of people, uh, much stronger than just me, will be praying together for you. And so thank you, brother. I appreciate you. Sometimes God has things for us to walk into that are difficult, and they break our hearts. And he uses it to mold us into the image of Jesus if we allow him to. Lori said it this morning, we can get bitter or we can get better. You get to make the choice. I want to remind you, listen, this text speaks about the fact that we need people in our lives. We need to be aware that they are the mission. But sometimes those same people will love you more than the will of God. And they'll encourage you in ways that are not God's will. They want you to be safe. They want you to be okay. But sometimes God calls us to the hard things. Sometimes God has us walk through the deserts because he wants us to know him, not just know about him, as Job said. We have to learn to trust him. Be careful not to focus on just the pain, but to remember that God always has a purpose. Amen? Paul said, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ who lives in me and the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. As we finish this morning, um, I want to pray and I want us to pray as a family for Scott. And, and, and maybe you have a, a desire to write him a note or write his family a note, or encourage him, or send them a gift card for some food to come to their home, whatever. If you do see me, bring it to me, send it to the church, we'll get them all to Scott. And that would be a blessing to him. But the greatest thing you can do for Scott and his family is what we're about to do. Pray for him, right? To strengthen him and encourage him to be reminded of the purpose of God, not just the pain he's walking through. Pray with me. Father, Lord, this is one of those messages we go, I don't really want to know about that one. <laughs> but the reality is we can't keep from difficult moments in our lives. We can't uh, avoid certain things. Because you love us so much, you allow things into our lives that are going to shape us one way or another. And we have to submit to you that you shape us into the image of Jesus. We have to allow you to do that, and sometimes it's so painful, God, we can't even put it into words. Lord, there may be many decisions sitting in this audience this morning. Online, there may be countless people who are going through very hard things. But you're a good God, and you love us more than we can ever imagine, and so because of that love, you're allowing us to face moments of difficulty. God, would you remind us not of the pain, but of the purpose? Would you call us into the assignment, Lord, of loving people and being obedient to your will, no matter the cost? 
Father, as a family this morning, we, with all of our hearts, we lift up to you Scott and Ellie Williams and their family. What a strong hero he is to me. God, from, from before this moment and before this diagnosis, he loved you with all of his heart. He was an encourager to me. He was a friend to me. He was a, a small group leader. He was a disciple maker. And so many of my flesh wants to go, this is not fair, God. This is one of the good guys. And yet in your providence and in your will that I don't understand but want to follow, God, you say, this is what I want for Scott's life. I'm, I'm allowing this into his life and into the life of his family to draw them to me and use them for my glory. And God, there's no question when I talk to Scott, when I see the smile on his face and I hear the deep, deep faith in his heart, I see you glorified. Lord, would you be with this family? God, I would be so bold as to pray that you would heal him from this disease in the name of Jesus, that you would take away this cancer, that he would go away. Lord, would you heal him? But God, if it's not your will to heal him, would you continue to give him the spirit that he has to love you, follow you, serve you, make you known, and be a, a voice for your goodness in the middle of darkness? Would you give us that courage to do the same? For every family walking through difficulty, for every marriage, for every home budget, for every teacher that's afraid to go to school next week, for every student that doesn't understand what's going on, for every mom and dad trying to figure this moment of life out, God, for all of us struggling with whatever we have, help us to follow your will, apart from the easy, apart from the safe sometimes, but to trust you with whatever it is you lead us to, to follow you, God so that we may know you more. In Jesus' precious name.